This isn't music. This is the scream of science. 300 brake horsepower per liter of displacement. Not passing in a blur at 200 miles per hour. And in the middle of the whole metal, the carbon sits flesh and blood. These are the masters of speed. This is Formula One. Okay, so welcome to the second episode of the Lights Out Let's Go podcast, uh, following uh, Formula One after each race. Uh, so after the madness of Monza, we wondered what Magello would throw up. And, well, all I can say is we got mayhem at Magello. So uh, before we get into the race, uh, there's a few talking points. And with me today... Um, I have Rich Mason, who's a very good friend of mine. Say hello, Rich. Good evening, people. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. Still reeling from what happened in Mugello, and uh, as we'll get into, it was a, it was a fairly uh, chaotic scene, really. I know. Life uh, treating you well? Uh, life's treating me very well, actually, yeah. Not too bad at all. Not too, enjoying the sun today. Very, very warm day today. So I know. Beautiful, beautiful, wasn't it? Beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> right, okay, so... Before we actually get into the race then, so there's a few talking points that I'd like to go through. Uh, so first of all, and um, I know people at home can't see this, uh, but I'm wearing my Fernando Alonso cap. Um, and as Rich knows, I am a huge Fernando Alonso fan. Um, so much so that I probably have a man crush on him. Um, but so, so there are news um, that he has now signed for Renault for the 2021 season, um, or Alpine Sports F1, as Renault are going to be called next year. So that's interesting. So although Alpine are owned by Renault, but I think they're looking to push their Alpine uh, Sports mark forward. So they're going to rebrand the Renault team as Alpine, which is interesting. Very, very, very good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we also had a bit more movement. So... Sebastian Vettel, who earlier on in the year um, uh, confirmed he was not renewing his Ferrari contract, or possibly Ferrari confirmed they weren't renewing Vettel's contract, whichever way around that happened. Um, Vettel has now announced that he has signed for Racing Point, or Aston Martin, as they will be called next year, um, which is a hell of a coup for Aston Martin Racing. Um, so, Rich... Do, do you think that's a good move for Vettel? What do you I, think? Think it's, I think it's a good move. It's probably the only move, and it's probably the worst right. kept secret in F1 for the last few weeks, I would have thought. I agree. And um, I, called it, I called it in March as well. I said he, he, he will go to Aston Martin. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you, look, if you look at the rest of the grid, there, there really wasn't anywhere else for him to go to when it became clear that he's just lost his way at Ferrari. And I think his, his yeah. problems at Ferrari have been he's tried to emulate Michael Schumacher, and that clearly hasn't worked. The infrastructure isn't there around him. So it's, I, I just think, you know, the, the, the Aston Martin move was probably the only one open to him. But I think a smart one as well. Yeah. Um, and I say that because Lawrence Stroll has not come into Formula One to muck about. So Lawrence Stroll Apple. being the owner of Aston Martin. Indeed. Racing the, the owner with uh, one or two billion dollars in his back pocket as well to be fair which um, you need a fair bit of wedge to throw around in F1 and uh, he certainly got that in spades and I just think I think 
the, the Aston Martin brand is 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 a is an important move. Obviously, Lawrence Stroll is also a major shareholder of Aston Martin as well. That's right. Yeah. And this is clearly a, a a twofold kind of approach to increase the brand. I mean, Aston Martin as a motor manufacturer have been in a you know not good financial uh, position of late. They're still losing money, I believe. The new DBX, their four-wheel drive, yeah. is the thing that's going to make them some money. But in order to do that, they've got to increase the brand awareness and everything else. And, and that's exactly why Lawrence has come into Formula One, rebranded as Aston Martin, Aston Martin Cars, Aston Martin Formula One, which is exactly what Ferrari have. And to be fair, it's exactly what Mercedes have done. I mean, you know, yeah. Lewis, what Lewis has done for the Mercedes brand is... Especially in America. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, when I, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, there was a, there was a minimum age to buy a Mercedes and you know, you had to be in your fifties before you got one of those. Um, rather like my old man who had two of them, bless him. Um, but it's, I, I think it's, you know, it, it, it's made that a young brand now. Mercedes, you, see, you know, it's kind of like young people go to get their cars there, you know, yeah. young people with a bit of money and whatnot. Um, you know, Ferrari have obviously always had that. And I think this is Aston Martin, you know, and Lawrence Stroll saying, well, actually, we're going to have a sports car brand um, with its kind of shop window in F1 as well. So yeah, I think Vettel's move is very good. It's obviously going to be all over in terms of the, the branding. He's going to be all over that, um, you know, advertising their cars and, and everything else, as Lewis does with Mercedes. So, um, so I would say I just, so Vettel's move, obviously, mm-hmm. a hell of a coup for uh, uh, Aston Martin. Um, that obviously means that Sergio Perez has to leave the team. And he has been a stalwart of that team for a while. He's got a few podiums. He actually saved the team last year from going under. And, 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 and So it's a bit of a slap in the face for Perez. Um, but where do you think he goes now then? Um, At the sport? I, I, I don't think so. I, I think we will see Perez. Alfa Romeo? Um, I, I'll tell you why I think we'll see Perez. Because he does come with some backing. Yeah, yeah, true. I don't know what's going to happen at Williams now they've been sold. Um, you know, I think they've still got to tie up with Mercedes, but, you know, he comes with some backing and I think it would be a shame if Perez wasn't racing because I think he's a, he's a, he's a really good, you know, he's got a lot of experience now. He's, one of, he's actually one of the more experienced racers on the grid. Yeah, now, I mean, with, with Perez, I think what you get with him, if you're a mid-table team what you get with Perez is a very safe pair of hands and he can work with these current breed of Pirelli tyres. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he really can. What my criticism of Perez would be, obviously when he went to McLaren, you know, a front-running team at, at the time, he bowed to the pressure. Um, mm. And something that I'll come on later that we won't quite discuss yet, but... This year, with a very fast Mercedes, um, with a Mercedes engine and what is effectively a Mercedes 2019 car, mm-hmm. I don't think he's been quite doing that car justice. But as a I, mid-table team, Perez is a very safe pair of hands. He is. He is a very safe pair of hands, as you say. And I agree. I think. I don't know. I think. I think. I expected Perez to be comfortably outperforming Stroll. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that is down to Perez underperforming or actually having watched him a few times. Do you know what? I think Lance Stroll is, is, is improving a lot. He's improved head and shoulders over last year. Well, we'll, um, we'll come on to Perez and Stroll a bit later. I've got, I've got a yeah. bit of a, bit of a, 
posing question for you, but um, yeah, yeah. So. Posing questions. We'll, <laughs> we'll come on to that. So um, obviously, at this race as well, uh, Ferrari, it was their one thousandth race. Mm. They had a bit of um, sort of uh, circus around them about what was going on, and and they changed their livery to a, a deep burgundy uh, for the race. Magello um, red, I believe that's called. Magello Mag- Mag- red. red. It is correct. Correct. Um, I, I mean, I think amongst Ferrari, they wish that their 1000th race came when the team was performing better. But, you know, still, it's a hell of an achievement, you know, 1000 races in, in Formula One. It, is, um, it, was, it was very lucky that everybody else sort of got out of their way and they could finish both cars in the points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and we'll come on to that as well with George yeah. Russell as well. Um, so we also had uh, the other bit of news was the new Concord Agreement was signed. Um, for anybody listening to the podcast who doesn't know what that is, uh, so the Concord Agreement is basically where the teams and the governing body um, sign up for their sort of rules, regulations and commitment to the sport for the next five years. Uh, so that was signed, which is good news. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so, so there's quite a lot happening in, in the last week or so. So, mm. so the race was at um, Mugello, um, and this isn't normally on the F1 calendar, this track. Um, it's only on there because um, uh, uh, Formula One were trying to cobble together a season during these weird COVID times. But actually, what a circuit, you know, uh, and what a great race it actually threw up. What was, you know... Did you enjoy the Magello circuit? What, what were your thoughts? Loved it. My initial thought when I did watch qualifying on Saturday was the Tuscan Hills are gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to go there just because I want to go do some wine tasting near the circuit or something. Right. There's a commitment there. If, if, if Formula One returns to Magello, me and you are going on a wine tasting oh, and Formula I, One I, weekend. That sounds good. It's, obviously, the backdrop's gorgeous. The other thing I love is it's got elevation. It's yeah. got that, what is it, turn six, seven, eight, nine. It's like, it's kind of maggots and beckets on steroids. It's just, you've got elevation, uh, you've got off-camber corners, you've got multiple different ways you can attack certain different corners. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I think I think F1 needs to go to more uh, MotoGP circuits, possibly. Yeah, I mean... Magellan's used the MotoGP a lot, and it is, I think it's an absolutely corking circuit. Yeah. And the thing I liked about it was, uh, you could tell the drivers worked very hard and they loved it as well they absolutely loved it you can see they really enjoyed it i mean as you say there was there's fast flowing corners um there's that there's that um pit lane straight which is 1.1 kilometers so you had the slipstream was really effective the drs was effective you know there was lots of overtaking when i was watching practice i was actually normally when you get fast flowing corners i was thinking with the current iteration of formula one cars i don't think there's gonna be a lot of overtaking but on this track, I think Ricardo said it, is there was lots of different angles of attack in each of the corners that mm. actually allowed you to overtake rather than just following behind the car in front. So that yeah, was great. I think the weather conditions help with that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, really, it, really kind of threw things around. Yeah, well. it used to be a Ferrari test track. Um, I mean, Schumacher, um, he pounded many many an hour around this track and apparently uh just before the f1 race um mick schumacher his his son um actually took uh his 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 father's championship winning car out on the track so that was quite quite impressive to see so a little bit of a fact for you well it's not a fact it's, it's a question to see what you think here okay so 
MotoGP, which are, which are the um, premier bike racing formula, um, race regularly at Mugello. Okay. So Hamilton's Formula One pole lap was 1 minute 15.1. What do you think the MotoGP lap was? What, do you want me to give me a time or can I just go a bit Bruce Forsyth again? Higher or lower? Uh, give me a rough time. What do you think the rough time is? I think Hamilton was one fifteen. I reckon, the, and if there's bike fans listening to this, uh, they'll probably which I am on. as well. I know you are, <laughs> uh, but there'll be other bike fans listening to it. I'm sure. I, I think it's probably one one nineteen. Okay, that's very interesting. So this shows the difference. Yeah. So I also had a guess myself. Okay, and I guessed it would be about one twenty five. Okay. Okay. So a MotoGP lap record by Mark Marquez is one forty-five point five. me, yes. So that sure. shows the so in the corners, isn't it? And it's all about the corners. So on yeah. on the straight, a MotoGP bike would you know kill an F1 car off, off the start, you know, because mm. they're so light. The power to weight ratio is, is is amazing. But around the whole track, it just shows what monster machines these these cars are yeah it's unbelievable so anyway we we get into to qualifying for this so a quick roundup we ended up with hamilton on pole uh bottas second um so hamilton um so sorry bottas actually was faster in every other session so all the practice sessions um but the lap when it actually counted hamilton pumped it in and bottas didn't do it yeah. Uh, behind the two Mercs, you had the two Red Bulls, uh, Verstappen and Albon. You had Leclerc in fifth, which was actually quite an amazing performance, seeing that Vettel finished down in 14th. Um, that does a story, doesn't it? It does tell a story. Um, Checked out already. I'm yeah, sorry. exactly. Um, in sixth and seventh, you had the two racing points. Now, this is where I come to that, what I was saying before. So, you had racing points um, with... Lance Stroll and Sergio Perez, okay? It's basically last year's Mercedes. It's a very fast car. Should Leclerc have been ahead of those guys? So are Stroll and Perez actually not doing Racing Point justice? I don't think they are. I think you could be right, to be fair. I think, I, I, I know, well, I, the, the other thing I was going to say about, we touched on Perez and Stroll earlier and, you know, thinking that Perez should be, you know, marginally, no, marginally, he should be ahead of Stroll. He's got more experience. We know he's a fighty racer. Um, but this weekend, Stroll had all the updates. So I think all the updates that come through go on Lance Stroll's car first. Um, oh, yeah. Perez gets the, the sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 the second second digit. Because Lance Stroll is the owner's son, isn't he? He is, absolutely. Well, this is it, you know, and I think that comes that comes with some pressure as well, but possibly comes with... A certain amount of comfort, knowing what's knowing what the crack is. Um, it'd be interesting to see what the um, lap times. Obviously, not at Mugello because we've never raced there before. But what the lap times of last year's Mercedes were in comparison to this yeah, year, yeah. because that's really the benchmark where Racing Point should be aiming for. So when they're at <coughs> pre, excuse me previous um, circuits like Monza and everything, they should be sitting there and saying, right, well, the 2019 Merc. Was was clocking this time around here, so that's really where our benchmark should be, at least. I can't imagine it's a, you know, I know people say it's the pink Mercedes and all the rest of it, but it, it clearly has had some updates. And you know, it's interesting to see if the Racing Point engineers have probably fiddled with it and fiddled with it 
a little yeah. bit too much in some areas and it's actually not as quick as last year's murder. Yeah, but... no, no, that's fair. And as you can probably see, I, I, I've got a real issue with Lance Stroll and Sergio Perez. I just don't think they're doing the job at a car that really should be running the Red Bulls close in qualifying, you know, and should not be allowing a Ferrari to, at this point, to qualify above them. But but anyway, so to round off the rest of the top 10, you had the, the two Renaults and the McLarens who were very close. So Renault and McLaren have got a real fight this year and they're, they're very, very close to each other. You had Vettel, as I said, down in 14th. Um, you had Pierre Gasly, um, who was the winner last weekend in Monza, um, yeah. back down in, in 16th. Um, it was the first time in quite a while that you had the previous winner of a race to go out in, in, in qualifying one. Yeah. Um, and then uh, chasing up the back of the grid, you had the Williams and the two Haas uh, teams. Oh, it was a bit of a shame for Gasly, actually, because that, that car was, was a Q2 car, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. Because no, no. showed, it, it was easily a Q2 yeah. car. So. I think he had a bit of a hangover, perhaps. Yeah, possibly, yeah. It's a week-long <laughs> week party for him, bless him. Okay. Yeah, okay, so on to the race, and this is where we get the mayhem at Mugello. So after last weekend's race, I didn't think this race could top it. Um, and if you look at the headline stats, you know, Hamilton won, Bottas in second, it didn't appear that it did provide that. But actually, one hell of a race and what a load of drama. So yeah. right off the start, so you had Hamilton on pole, you had Bottas second. And the lights went out and at Mugello, they were often saying because of that long straight and it was a headwind as well, yeah. that the slipstream would be really effective. And actually being on pole position may not be your best chance of getting to the first corner first. Um, and both Hamilton and Bottas got away well, but Bottas mm-hmm. proved because he got ahead of Hamilton on the first corner that actually, you know, that pole position isn't the best. And Bottas was... Uh, ahead of Hamilton on that first corner. Um, all we had of the race to start with were two corners, because then what happened was you had Verstappen and Gasly came together. So Gasly got caught in a um, sandwich between Raikkonen and I think Grosjean. Um, yeah. It sort of threw him in the air, threw him into the back of Verstappen, and then Max and Gasly both crashed off into the, into the barrier, uh, causing a safety car. It was, absolutely. Yeah, so it was an exciting and, and, and Verstappen was only there because he's well, he had a bit of an issue with the uh, yeah, it was a slow getaway, and yeah, that's he right, swamped, yeah. didn't he? So he was down in amongst it when, when he when he hit that uh, second second corner. Yeah, definitely. So so after the, the excitement of the start, two two uh, corners into the race, we have a safety car. So then, okay, so we have the. Did we get onto your safety car issue. Yeah, we get we get onto yes, we get onto that in a bit. That that's the red flag <laughs> flag issue which comes afterwards. But the talking point here is we then had the safety car came in, and again, as we're saying, we've got that long one point one kilometer um, straight. Yeah. That that the slipstream is really effective, um, and so Bottas was holding the pack up as late as he could to then try and scamper away and stop Hamilton catching him at, at the first corner. Oh, but this caused a huge coming together where we lost uh, to basically the cars at the back thought that everyone was blasting away. Um, so they started to speed up, but Bottas in front wasn't going that fast yet. So they ended up crashing into everyone and we ended up losing signs Giovinazzi, Magnussen, 
and Latifi in a huge crash on 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 the pitch straight, which actually caused the race to to, to then be red flagged for the yes. second time in two weekends. And rightly so, I have to say, it was a complete. So, what was your view uh, on what Bottas was doing? I know you, I know you have a bit of a view on this. I do have a view on this. I think. I think the rules around safety car start are absolutely crystal clear and Bottas um, absolutely adhered to them and did yep. everything within the rules. I need mean, to yep. put that out there. Yeah, he yeah, did of course, absolutely yeah, of nothing to contravene the rules around that safety car start. However, I think they all know what um, forward visibility is like in an F1 car. Yeah, um, You're essentially pretty much give or take a centimeter or so sat on the floor yeah um i don't you don't have particularly great um you know you know where the extremities of the car are <laughs> it sounds like i've driven one and i haven't i've driven single yeah, yeah. <laughs> not an f1 car but it is you know you're so low and i think the issue was that in the, in the corners leading up to the start finish straight everybody's expecting start stop weaving everything else <laughs> you've seen hamilton do it 101 times when he's done safety car restarts that he'll always, you know, weave around and stop and stand on the brakes a little bit. Not too much, but, you know, um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll do it. But then literally one or two corners before that start finish straight, he goes. And I have not seen anybody hold the cars as Bottas did on that start finish straight, which is what he did. He's completely within the rules because nobody can overtake him until they've gone past the start-finish straight. And obviously, he didn't want to go at the start of that straight because, as you rightly pointed out, the toe uh, on, on that 1,100-metre straight is significant. Yeah. Yeah. So in order to try and break that, he left it as late as possible to hit the gas. But unfortunately, that concertina effect over the last two corners, as he came into the start-finish straight, as far as he's concerned, he's doing the thing right and all the rest of it. They then push on a little bit uh, on that start-finish straight. Well, by the time the back markers, where Giovinazzi uh, and, uh, and everyone else were, who were involved in this messy incident, when they are coming around the last two corners, getting out of that last corner, they are fully expecting that the, the guys at the front have gone. And I think that's where Giovinazzi's head was. It's just, well, they must have gone, because I'm on the start-finish straight. I can see this. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. I can see the, ga- the, 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 you know, the, 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 the gantry with the lights on it and everything. So they must have gone puts his foot to the floor. These things will do naught to 100 mile an hour in the blink of an eye. And, and all of a sudden he realises he, he hasn't gone. And we had that very, very disconcerting scene of his car going up the back of um, yeah. whoever it was, it was Latifi or... Science uh, was, was it, he went up the back of. Yeah, I think um, so. You know, and I, I, yes, he should have been paying more attention, I guess. But, you know, they I mean, are... When- when the they're on a knife edge and they are there to anticipate as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 no, I agree. But when the safety car pulls in, the leader of the race becomes the de facto safety car. So they True. can detect, dictate the pace. You know, the back markers were, were anticipating, as you say, you know, them going. But they have to be aware that until everyone goes... They know, haven't gone. Yeah, they, yeah they, they haven't gone. I mean, I mean... I think you rightly said, you know, Bottas didn't do anything wrong. Um, but on a track like Mugello, and perhaps it's because we haven't been there before as well. So they've got no reference point. You know, they don't mm-hmm. know when someone's going to be doing something. So I think that didn't help. But I think they've, I, su- I suppose, F1 in general have got to think about what sort of rules do we need to set down or what 
what what is safe and and what isn't i suppose because I, you're right it it was dangerous but it's not it it, it was within the rules I think it's that thing that, you know, I mean, it's, if, any, if anybody knows, there's a, there's a fairly unwritten rule in motor insurance. If you go into the back of somebody's exactly. shop, yeah, even if the hand of God came down and if such a thing exists, um, stop the car in front of you dead and you went into the back still you thought you should have been watching. Yeah. So yeah, you could yeah. say that, you know, the Bottas, didn't, he, he didn't do anything wrong. But I think if you put yourself in Giovinazzi's trousers, you sat around, you, you, you're at the back, you know, you know you're about to go, you're about to go, you're on, you're on tenor hooks, ready to go. And you can see other people on the side of you, perhaps not going so much. You're thinking, oh, I've got giants there. I can jump three or four people here if I'm on it. Yeah. And had it have worked out, had everybody gone, he perhaps would have jumped three or four people. And that's, yeah, that's, that's where the twitchiness and the, and the, the, the impetus to get that foot on the, uh, on the gas came from. But he needed to have his eyes peeled. He didn't. And, and the carbon explosion was uh, spectacular to watch. Yeah, um, it, was, it was spectacular. But, you know, ultimately it led, it led to that um, it led to that red flag and that stoppage. So anyway, yes, as you say, so it led to a red flag and about, about a 20-minute uh, stop. Um, and then my real bugbear, so teams were allowed <laughs> to change tyres under a red flag. So basically yeah. what you had were the two mercs at the front basically nullified any tactical reasoning because they went straight onto the medium tires, um, which is a obviously a free pit stop. Mm-hmm. So then they could run the mediums. And if the race panned out as they then expected, they could then go medium again towards the end of the race and then finish the race. And there's no tactical, you know, it basically nullified anything. And I was expecting then a boring race from then. Um, mm-hmm. But we come on to the second red flag, which shook things up again. Um, but I covered this with, with my brother, um, last weekend and I think everyone now knows my view on changing tyres under a red flag what's your views Rich? Um, I, I agree with you um, to, I think there is one potential safety element um, when you have an accident like that I, I, I agree with the premise that when you have a red flag the race is effectively paused and that's not only the on-track action, but that is also the strategy that you've employed. It's yes, it's the race is in stasis, isn't it? Exactly. It's a, you like that word. I know you do. because I do. Not. <laughs> it's in stasis. Um, so I think uh, I agree that from that perspective, it, it should, because it keep, it'll keep the teams thinking. It'll keep them going, well, what do we do now? Now, technically, I don't know what happens to the tyres where you've had them up to temperature, you've been racing with them, and then all of a sudden you stop and they cool off. Now, I don't know if that does anything to these Pirelli tyres, whether they yeah, get, the surface changes, the rubber compound as it cools. Yeah. I mean, they'll get the blankets on them, I'm sure, but the blankets aren't anywhere, anywhere near actual operation. But it's about 80% temperature, isn't it? So It is, but, but the one thing I'd say around safety is if you've had an accident like that, like we saw... I mean, how much carbon fibre did we see all over the track? Yeah, agreed, agreed. And if you've got people who've perhaps picked up a shard of carbon fibre in those tyres, you know, it, it, it could potentially give a dangerous situation. But I guess they should be able to change only to the same compound they're on. Correct. Damaged tyre. Well, the thing is, you could eat... I mean, to be fair, they had 20 minutes. It wouldn't take, it wouldn't take much. You could have somebody from Pirelli, impartial go down the entire grid of cars in that time and, and, and basically check tyres and make sure yeah, everybody, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. everybody's happy from a safety standpoint. I agree. Um, you know, that's why Pirelli were asked to, to, to formulate and invent these compounds to give us close racing, to give us, 
you know, the incidences like we had at Silverstone two years ago when people's tyres were exploding for a, for a, for a hobby. And, and we've had it this year already as well. Um, you know, people's tyres going to, you know, it's clearly been, it's clearly a part of uh, Grand Prix racing at the moment is managing those tyres and, and that sort of lottery of are they going to go. Yeah. Um, but I mean, pre- I mean, if you can manage this, any sort of any safety aspect, and I don't know if there'd be others, but I'm completely with you. I really think it should, it should be, you, know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to nullify strategy by going, yeah. oh, pit stop. I mean, I don't know if, uh, Doug is pit stop, I think a pit stop under the safety car. That's is, okay. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree I, with I that. I think that's legitimate because that's reacting and being agile. Yes, you're right. Way. And we've seen often that throws up different things and Hamilton got his penalty last weekend. So it does throw up different things. So, so I, I, I think, think that, when you have a that, red flag, like, bang, that's it. Red flag done. Whatever, exactly. Whatever tires you're on, whatever strategy you put into the pits, that's what you're going in. And we on. go back to my favourite word, the race gets put in stasis. So anyway. So anyway. That should be a t-shirt then. We'll get that. <laughs> we should put this in stasis. That's well, it. I'll tell you what, if Dougie Saint Radio have any contacts to get me a press thing so I can get to the next race, I will be chatting to Ross Braun and talking to him about changing tyres under a red flag. But anyway, I am going to move on. Right, okay. I've bump into him on the train again, which I have done once. <laughs> yes, you Not have. Not anybody's done. on trains anymore, but I will mention it to him. Yes, <laughs> correct, correct. Okay, so then you had a standing start restart. Um, and at this point, you had Bottas in front and you had Hamilton behind. And I think, again, this just shows the brilliance of Hamilton and how he sort of learns from everything he does every single season. That mm. he, he always learns. So from when he was on pole at the start of this race and Bottas was behind, he could see exactly how Bottas took him. So yep. Hamilton learnt that for the restart. He knew he was behind Bottas and he was very brave around turn one and he ended up then jumping Bottas at the restart. I think that is literally, you know, a, a true champion that they can learn from every single bit that they experience, you know, on, on, on the track and flex it as it goes. So anyway, That's... from the restart, we had 13 cars left then because so many cars were taken out. The grid and, and sort of at the restart, the, the grid was Bottas, Hamilton, Leclerc, Albon, Stroll, Ricardo, Perez, Norris, and Kvyat. Um, and then you had a few backmarkers like, um, uh, so you had Raikkonen, Giovinazzi, uh, uh, no, Giovinazzi was taken out, sorry. And then you had Russell and you had uh, Vettel. So Leclerc was. Doing pretty well, actually. He was he was in third position, but as I said, so so the race took off again, and Leclerc went backwards very quickly because the cars behind him were quicker than him. He was kind of out of position, really. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so so you know, for their for their one thousandth race, Leclerc in, in a Ferrari going backwards through through the grid with everyone overtaking him was probably not something that Ferrari wanted to see, but that can't be helped. Mm-hmm. Um, you then had George Russell in a Williams, um, which was amazing because he was giving the Alfa Romeos and the Ferraris a real fight for sort of for ninth place. So he ended up overtaking um, Raikkonen and he ended yeah. up overtaking Vettel, which is, you know, um, for me and you, Rich, you know, being Williams fans and seeing them so far at the back of the grid for the last couple of years was Thanks. great to see them fighting with, you know, proper teams. <laughs> I, I, and I think George Russell is, uh, I mean, 
I know we, 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 we you know, we, we've seen a few people, and Carlos Sainz has got an awful lot going for him at the moment. People talking about his move to Ferrari, and yeah. Gasly has won a Grand Prix. Uh, and out of all of the new people coming, Nor- Nor- last lap Lando, he's done some good yeah, things last lap Lan- as well. Lando, the, yeah. the, the only thing I'm really kind of gnashing my teeth about is that George Russell, George Russell is a humongously talented driver and one who's got, I think, I don't think I've seen racecraft from a rookie like that. Okay, I'll tell you what. Racecraft is fantastic. I'll tell you what. Here is a lights out, let's go podcast prediction. Okay. So I am (laughs) going to predict that Hamilton will equal Schumacher's record this year of championships. I think that's a fairly, fairly safe bet, Dan. Once he's done that, uh, I'm not sure if... So Bottas has signed a contract for next year, hasn't he? I believe he has. Yes, Bottas okay. is in that mode okay. next year. So Hamilton will win the championship next year because all the cars are pretty much the same because the yeah. chain rule changes has been um, uh, postponed. Eighth title. So Hamilton yeah. will have a eighth title. Yeah. Bottas's contract will not get renewed at Mercedes, mm-hmm. and George Russell will go to Mercedes and have maybe one or two seasons with. Lewis there being shown the ropes as in like you know this is how a champion really becomes a champion um and yeah I think Russell will be at Mercedes uh with Lewis for a couple of years and then beyond when Lewis walks away from the sport um Russell will be at Mercedes and whoever else then takes that place that's a prediction I mean he is he's managed by um the most German man in the world, Toto Wolf, is he not? Yeah, correct, yeah. Um, and, and also a phenomenal... I didn't know if you saw it, there was an interview with Toto Wolf on Channel 4 and he's a ridiculously good manager and leader of people. He's absolutely... Yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah. I think he's got a book coming. I need to read stuff about Toto Wolf because he's amazing in terms of the way he leads organisations. But I think he will... He'll manage George Russell into a good car. Um the only thing I don't think, I'm not sure if Hamilton will be there. That's the only thing I wonder. And also, it may not be called Mercedes. It could be called Ineos. Well, yes, true, true, true. But there is the British thing with Ineos, because they've kind of come up with that new, basically, a Land Rover Defender. The Land Rover have got their new Defender, but Ineos have come up with something that's very much like an old Land Rover Defender. So there's kind of like a British kind of tie-up with marketing and, and car production, everything with Ineos. So... It could be, it could be very, very interesting. I, I just hope George Russell gets into a top car because I think he's a yeah, phenomenal yeah. rookie. I really do, and I don't think we've seen how quite how good he is. Because sadly for you and I, that Williams is not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Like Merck engine in the back of it, it's clearly not, not. Um, they've gone the wrong way with the design of it and all the rest. Of no, it. true, true. I suppose you get somewhere. Yeah. So anyway, the race then progressed and you had a, a, a round of pit stops. Um, and then towards the end of the race, you had uh, Lance Stroll suffered a puncture, which mm. caused him to have quite a high speed crash into the barriers. Um, and then a second red flag of the day, mm. um, which was quite unbelievable, really. Um, so... Before I come on to then what happened in the rest of the race, so red flags. So in the last 10 years, we've only had nine red flagged races and four of those were due to torrential rain. Mm. Um, We've now this season had effectively three red flags. Um, 
and all all down to crashes and so getting the car off the circuit so i suppose my my initial thoughts are are we becoming too sanitized so whenever there's a crash now normally it's a safety car are we going down the route of it being a red flag i don't know i think that i think the circumstances have to be fairly particular i think the one that confused me was actually at monza which is um was it magnuson's car that that failed on you know just ahead of the pit entry magnuson yeah magnuson yeah yeah and, and and they threw a red flag for that which i was a little bit confused about was it a red flag to that one i think it was wasn't it yeah it was a red flag yeah you're right yeah you're right yeah that's the one i wasn't like i was a bit unsure as to why they did a red flag for that well uh, yeah exactly is it a bit I, I think I, that was the one. I have to say, at this race, I think the two red flag incidences were um, uh, were justified. I think the amount. Well, of hang on, no, the red flag wasn't Magnussen's car. Magnussen's car was when the pit lane was closed. The red flag was for Leclerc's crash. Ah, it was Leclerc's crash. Yes, it? yeah, yeah, it was. Perhaps they were all justified then. I, I, I just think that, that, that well, if we talk about this this particular race, the two red flags were justified. I think the amount of carbon on the track on the start finish straight which isn't somewhere you normally have recovery vehicles yeah true you can't have them piling through the pit lane entry you know however many times it was 20 minutes that could have been that could have been a dozen laps the other thing to remember is that i don't believe you've got a two-hour time limit for the grand prix and i don't believe the clock stops if you're running around the safety car and that's not great people people don't want to see 15 minutes of trundling around behind the safety car with hamilton complaining it's going too slow yeah, that's fair. And, uh, and so to, it, it, it creates a lot of it pauses the race. It pauses the race. It puts it in stasis. Remember the T-shirt. It does. Gonna, it does. It does. We're going to put. We're going to put it in stasis. Um, and I think um, uh, the, the the second uh, instant for Leclerc's crash, I was sort of thinking, well, he was miles off the the circuit where the where the barriers were. But then, as soon as you saw that um, uh, the mo- the telehandler came out to to take the car away. Immediately, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of the thing that Jules Bianchi ran into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very true. Very there, true. Is, there is a very, very, you know, all that had to happen on that corner was for somebody else to catch something. They weren't sure what had happened. So you're the race director. Uh, Leclerc's gone off. You're not quite sure why he's gone off. Has he hit oil on the track? Has something happened? You know, you've got to get that car out of the way. You've got these, you know, these sort of um, tractor-like telehandlers to get the car out of the way and, you know, we all know what happened um, a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so, 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 Rich, you, you, mes- you mentioned um, Jules Bianchi there. So, so that was um, uh, 2016 in in S- Suzuka, where yeah. he sadly was killed in an accident by by, by um, crashing into a recovery vehicle, which which is very Absolutely. sad. And actually, a good segue. Actually, so on this week's season ticket, we are doing um, the subject: the ones that got away. And just to give away a little teaser, uh, Jules Bianchi will be one of my picks. Which is Ooh, interesting. I, I think it's pick as well. Yeah, I think it's an important story to tell. And, it um, is very important. He was a very talented youngster that was, you know. I think it's an important story to tell because I think people still think, they now believe that F1 is just super safe. Yeah, and it's not. Um, because we, thankfully, these instances are now very rare. But yeah. you don't have to go too far back, you know. We're talking the, that weekend of, of Ayrton Senna and Roland Ratzenberger as well. Ninety-four you know, yeah. weekend, you know. It is still a fantastically dangerous sport. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, happen. last year in F two, you had <laughs> Antoine Hubert who, exactly. who died at Spa, and you know it 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 does happen. So, carrying on. So we had we had then the second restart of the race, um, mm. 
And this time you had Hamilton in front and Bottas behind. Um, and I was thinking to myself, okay, so it's going to be so far the other two starts for this race was the person in second has ended up ahead at the first corner. So I thought, okay, it's Bottas's race now to win. And he fluffed the start. Yeah. Was, it, was it pressure? I don't know. I'm not sure if he... Is Bottas know. good? I think he's very quick on a Saturday. And I think he somehow kind of lacks racecraft on a Sunday. He tends to... Wait, if you look at the Grand Prix that he's won, it's been out in the lead and gone. And it, it's, it's when he gets in amongst... Uh, and he has to fight for position, he starts to really struggle a little bit. On the restart, on the restart, just to add weight to your uh, stasis argument, <laughs> um, I don't quite know, and I'd probably have to sort of revisit it, but I'm not quite sure what, sure what happened with uh, um, Raikkonen. And I think, I'm not sure if Grosjean was in at that point as well, but basically they had tyres. So I will tell you what happened here. So I looked into this. So I, I've got this coming on um, in a l little bit later, but I'll come on to it now. So, so at the restart, um, so I'll do a quick summary. So, so, so um, Bottas uh, fluffed the start and actually ended up behind Ricardo. So Hamilton was leading the race. You had Ricardo running second for a bit. You had Bottas, then you had Albon. Um, a little bit lower down. So, so George Russell in the Williams was in ninth position. Yes. Um, Which is why I care about this, because he was like gunning exactly. for that first point, first point for Williams. And behind him, um, you had Vettel, you had Raikkonen, and you had Grosjean. Now, Raikkonen and Grosjean were a lap down, okay? Yeah. So, what they do on, on, on a restart is they allow people who are a lap down to unlap themselves, so everyone's starting, you know, again where they are which i think is ridiculous because again the race should be in stasis so why why are you allowing them to unlap themselves but anyway but what actually happened was so they allowed Raikkonen and Grosjean to do a lap of the of the of, of the track to join the grid behind George Russell but in doing that during that lap Raikkonen and Grosjean were able to warm their tires up sufficiently absolutely so then when they restarted, they had warm tyres and both were able to jump George Russell at the start. They swamped him at the start. And they, yeah, they which is ridiculous. I didn't, I didn't agree with that at all. I thought no, that was... I didn't agree with that. It was really, really unfortunate for George Russell. So he ended up then at the restart from ninth down into 12th mm. um, because Vettel managed to get him anyway, uh, which is fair. Um, but then George uh, managed to then retake Raikkonen and Grosjean get up to 11th, um, but couldn't quite then catch uh, Vettel. So he just miss, missed out on a, on a, on a, on a points um, finish there, which, which was unfortunate. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, so basically you had, for a while, you had sort of Hamilton, Ricardo, Bottas and Albon. Um, Bottas managed to then uh, catch Ricardo um, and over, overtake him. And then you had Albon... Um, who put a superb move on Ricardo? I have to um, say that. Alex Albon did absolutely light everything up there because Ricardo is yeah. not an easy pound to pass. He's a determined, feisty, elbows out kind of a racer, and it was. And it was a proper, if you excuse my terminology, a proper balls out move. You know, 
fair play to Albon. Now, yeah. Albon has had his critics this season so far in that Red Bull, but this this podium finish for Albon, um, do you think it's, it's his coming of age? Do you think this is going to help him for the rest of the season? I'm not sure it's a complete coming of age for him. However, I think it's definitely secured him to the end of the season without any uh, traditional Helmut Marco, um, you know, induced um, musical chairs at Red Bull. Well, to be in... Sorry. So, so interesting. they've got to be thinking about it. They've, looked, they've got to look across the garage at Gasly and gone, oh, hang on, you've won a Grand Prix now. You've, you've given Helmut Marco a real problem. Well, <laughs> I've, so I did a bit of research in, into Red Bull and Albon and their relationship and what Horner was saying after the race. And interestingly, okay, so last year when Gasly was at Red Bull and not performing, mm. Gasly didn't have the support of the engineers, uh, you know, of his pit crew. Like everyone sort of just left him for dead and just wanted to move on. And they ended yeah. up then, you know, putting an album in that car. Um, so Horner this year, so Red Bull have been very supportive of Albon. And what they and what Horner was saying was that Albon has the full support of his entire garage, all of his engineers, and Red Bull themselves are very happy with the feedback that Albon has given them to help develop the car. And what and what Horner has said is that actually um, the Red Bull suffers from a slight loose rear ends, which Verstappen is able to drive around and it doesn't matter. But Pierre Gasly suffered this last year and Albon's been suffering it this year. But actually his feedback is beginning to get on top of the car. And Horner says that he thinks that Albon is the man to help sort this out and actually go on. So actually there's a there's a quite a lot of support from him in, in, in Red that Bull. That does explain a lot of things. And I think that's the other important aspect of F1. It's not just getting the car and go quick. Exactly. Um, you know, it is if you can support and give that feedback to your side of the garage and your engineers and everybody and help because they ultimately they you know they these guys have families and they don't see them for weeks and months on end during the season and they pour their heart and soul into the engineering yeah. of that car and if they can get that feedback that helps it get better then they all feel part of that team and if if Gasly wasn't delivering that last year for Red Bull then you have a disgruntled team. As opposed to having a disgruntled driver singular, you've got a disgruntled 200 mechanics. Yeah, it's not, you know, it, it, it has a real big effect. So I tell you, if Albon's doing the business, then, um, you know, it, it's, you know, that, that, that sort of seems to secure him and possibly this performance this weekend really will secure him. I always get the impression when he's interviewed, it's kind of, he, he just needs to, I don't know, he, he seems like the sort of driver who does really need a bit of a cuddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, he needs that, he needs that sort of uh, arm around him and sort of like, no, you really are quite good, mate. You've done well here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I agree. You know, podium finish at a, at, a, at a race that we've never raced at is, is not a mean feat. So, you know, perhaps it will be his, um, you know, his establishment, shall we say. Yeah, as, I agree. As, I agree. that second driver to Max Verstappen. So anyway, you ended up with um, Hamilton uh, winning the race. You had Bottas in second. You had Albon um, third. Uh, yeah. You had Ricardo. Um, as we said, you know, further down the grid, you had Russell just missing out on a on a points finish, etc. So that win now leaves Hamilton on ninety career Formula One wins, which is yes. one behind the great Michael Schumacher. It is. Um, so, quick question for you: Did you so so Hamilton 
without taking anything for granted, so Hamilton has not beaten the record yet. He has not equaled it yet. And he may never win another race. I mean, you know, chances are he will, but you never know. Formula One is, is a funny world. But did you ever see Schumacher's record coming even close to, you know, years ago? If I asked you 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I'd have probably said, nah, I think that certainly the seven championship titles was going to be, you know, not something you could challenge. Yeah. Um, 91 Grand Prix victories is, is astonishing as well. Um, but, you know, lo and behold, here we are. And, um, you know, yes, I totally agree. He will, he will break Schumacher's record in the next... I don't know, Bottas goes well at Sochi, doesn't he? He's quite, quite likes that. In Sochi, he does, yeah, he does, yeah. And, um, you know, but certainly in the next three or four Grand Prix, that, that, that record will be broken. And I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that Lewis has got his eyes set on cracking 100 Grand Prix victories. Up. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's clearly something he wants to do. Um, it is just phenomenal that we've had these two drivers have these fantastic, um, these fantastic uh, runs of success. And I know people complain. And I've been one of them in the past where certainly in the Schumacher area, it was getting a little dull. Um, but, you know, the controversy is always interesting, you know, certainly when, um, you know, when he had comings together with Damon Hill and, and, and all the rest of it, and certainly his incident of parking it on the outside of... Um, and that's well, all stuff for a future... To get the corner at... I think when <laughs> Hamilton eventually... Um, eventually beats his record which i think he will we can yeah. perhaps do a podcast you know looking at schumacher and hamilton and compare the two and i've certainly got my own views about schumacher you know and yeah i think he's I, I, I did I, it is a phenomenal you know tally of grand prix wins and and to think we're sat here in 2020 with um you know with, with somebody who is clearly going to crack that um you know it's quite phenomenal and and again i i, I absolutely sit here and go yeah, that will never, ever, ever be beaten. You know, Lewis will, Lewis will want to have that as almost yeah. close the record books. It's never going to be beaten. But then, you know, as they always say, records are there to be. Yeah, uh, you, know, so know, do. you never know. So, so Hamilton leaves uh, Magello with a 55-point lead in the, in the championship. Um, I mean, That's nice, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, it? It's over him you know, not finishing in two races and still having a championship lead. Um, my personal view, Hamilton, you know, in this COVID-affected season, he wasn't sure how many races, you know, would actually be put on. Um, so sometimes um, if, you, if you're critical of Hamilton, you can say he starts the season off slowly. Mm-hmm. I think this year he knew... you he had to be serious from the first race. And so Bottas won that first race. Um, but since then, I mean, Hamilton's just blown everyone away. He knows yes. what, what needs to be done on a shortened season. And he's just making sure that it's going to be wrapped up ASAP really, which is yeah. great. It is. It's, uh, yeah. He's absolutely risen to the occasion as he does year in, year out. And, you know, I, I, I think we're, we, I, I've been somebody that has certainly earlier on in his career, even after his first, uh, World Championship win in 2008 I'd never really warmed to the younger Hamilton um, I think um, as somebody who you know history for me obviously people won't know I, you know, I'm, uh, I've always uh, I've always uh, been a fan of, uh, of Jensen um, and I just like the way he goes about his yeah. racing um, but I think I you know I will always say I think he took quite a lot from those three seasons with Jensen in terms of 
in terms of racecraft, you know, Lewis has been quick from day one on a Saturday, and I think Jensen will always admit yeah. that he's never the quickest in qualifying. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, apart from 09. Um, you know, but 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 his racecraft on a Sunday was something I think Lewis, you know, clearly looked at and was like, okay. And as you've said, he is always, you know, every day's a learning day for Lewis. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's not somebody that ever rests on his laurels. And and he's he's somebody who's always always looking for that extra tenth, that extra thing. Well, yes, I know I've won it, and I got fastest lap, and I did this, and I did that. But where could I have gone quicker? Yeah, what could yeah, I, I agree. Done slightly better, and you know, well, Valtteri was quicker in that corner, so let's let's learn what he did there, even though he absolutely trounced him in the race. So, you know, I, I, as Lewis has grown, I've, I just I'm you know massive massive respect to him, and, and and I'm a bit of a bit of a Hamilton super fan there, to be yeah. honest. Okay, I so think I think we're we're witnessing. Possibly the greatest of all time in Aston. Exactly, exactly. So I've got to got to bring the podcast to a to a close. So um, as I say, you know Hamilton's way out in in front with the um, with the uh, uh, season lead at the moment. Uh, we come to Sochi next week, so Bottas goes very well at Sochi, um, as we know. So you know this could be a a closer race than perhaps we've had recently. Um, so what I'd like to do. Um, now at this point is so give me a quick um, prediction what do you think the podium will be in Sochi? Sochi um, I think I've got to stick with Lewis Hamilton on pole I think it was such a topsy-turvy race kind of three Grand Prix on one day in, on Sunday so uh, I think it'll be a circuit everybody's familiar with over the last few seasons Lewis on uh, top step Bottas second which you know potentially people be a bit of a yawn fest for I think third could be very, very interesting, but you know, I think um, Max Verstappen. It's not, it's, it's a very predictable grid. I think okay. after the last two races, it will be a return to normality. Interesting. So I'm going with the same three people, but I'm going Bottas win. I'm going Lewis second, and I'm going Max third. So there, there you go. go. Let let let's see what happens. We'll okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, thanks to those that um, listened to our podcast um, and. I'd like to open it up. So if there's any questions about F1 that anyone wants to uh, send in for uh, me or Rich or my brother to answer, uh, then it'd be great if you could go to uh, Twitter or Insta and go to at Season Ticket DSR, that's Delta Sierra Romeo, or the Season Ticket group on Facebook. And if you head up your question, Lights Out, Let's Go podcast, then I can... uh, uh, collect that and uh, perhaps answer that at the uh, next uh, the next race review at Sochi. So, Rich, thanks for joining me. It's been absolutely fantastic. I, we've probably talked a lot longer than we probably should have. Um, but, um, yeah, it's fantastic. We'll see everyone in two weeks. And, uh, Rich, do you want to yeah. say goodbye? Oh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, apologies if I've dribbled on a little bit, but that's the gin talking. So uh, I'm looking forward <laughs> to Sochi, and it'll be uh, great to uh, speak to you all again soon. Okay, fantastic, and we will see you later.